What happens when cash bail is removed from the criminal justice system? I'm not sure, but it looks like we're going to find out. Michelle Hennessy from the Association of Deputy District Attorneys joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Hope you're having a great day out there, wherever you might be. We've got an interesting episode for you today. But first, we need to thank our sponsor for their generous support, Noda. Noda is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnota.com forward slash legal to learn more. And that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And remember, terms and conditions may apply. Okay, let's meet our guest deputy district attorney, Michelle Hennessy from the County of Los Angeles. She is also the president of the Association of Deputy District Attorneys. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being. I got to say, it's a real treat. I've been reading you all's uh, email newsletter for many years now. It has given us so many great ideas for upcoming shows and uh, guest expert ideas. And so really great uh, email newsletter to keep you informed about what's going on in our criminal justice system. And, you know, I happened upon this article that she wrote. It was titled Lawyers Dwell on Small Details Part One. So I'm assuming there's going to be more parts if that's the part one. But uh, this particular article was about cash bail. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But, you know, Michelle, we have listeners uh, to this show that are not, you know, they're not uh, lawyers. They don't have a JD and maybe they're not a paralegal, but they're interested in the law, how it works and how it impacts our life. So, you know, you're a deputy district attorney and the president of the Association of Deputy District Attorneys. So can you tell us about what you do? What, What are your roles like? Yeah, absolutely. My full-time day job is to be a deputy DA for the County of Los Angeles, and I'm actually assigned to the Major Crimes Division, which handles high-profile cases and complex murders. So a lot of your listeners would have heard of a lot of the cases that I've handled during my careers and more recently. I am also the president of a labor union, which is the labor union that represents over 800 prosecutors in the L.A. County DA's office So we are here to protect their hours, wages, and working conditions. And in addition, Los Angeles uh, County employees enjoy civil service protections. So we also protect their civil service rights. And as your viewers and listeners probably know, civil service rules are designed to ensure that hiring and promotion are based on merit rather than gender, race, religion, or political favoritism. So Part of our role at times is to protect employees from political retaliation. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds like a a really busy week to me. So thank you for your service. Really appreciate that. So let's uh, let's, uh, transition over to cash bail. You know, and I think most of our listeners, or at least me, for example, you know, probably most of our exposure to that comes from TV or occasionally uh, we'll drive by a bail bondsman location as we, you know, come close to the courthouse. But uh, in terms of cash bail, you know, what is its function? What is it designed to do? Why is it important to the criminal justice system? Well, you know, the concept of cash bail is in both our federal and California constitutions. And cash bail was developed to ensure that a defendant who's charged with a crime returns to court when they're charged with an offense. It is to deter that person from becoming a fugitive from justice. So they would suffer a penalty if they didn't show up, which would be the forfeiture of that cash bail if they fled the jurisdiction of the court. Initially, cash bail wasn't designed to increase public safety because needless to say, if a murderer manages to post $2 million bail, they can still murder someone again. The the fact that they posted bail doesn't protect the public in any way. 
The thing is, in California, the California Constitution actually requires the fixing of cash bail on almost all offenses except capital murder and where prosecutors can prove future dangerousness. So it is a requirement of our state constitution. And this is where the narrative comes in about whether cash bail is harmful to the poor or the flip side of that is it gives an advantage to the wealthy. And there are some specific examples I can see in in cases handled by my office. For example, Phil Spector was out on bail during his entire murder trial for the murder of Lana Clarkson, of which he was eventually convicted. And we also have one of the most notorious and famous fugitives from justice out of Los Angeles, Roman Polanski, who was out on bail and fled the country and has never returned. Yeah, he's still at large, right? So if he ever finds himself back in California, you all nab him, right? Yes, he is only able to travel to a few countries who have refused to extradite him already. Okay, well, just, uh, you know, from your perspective, you know, having seen all this many times, you know, just cash bail as a general matter. I know it's got some pros and cons, but uh, would you say that as a uh, as a law enforcement tool, there's more uh, more in the positive check marks uh, as opposed to the negative check marks? Well, it can cut both ways. I mean, the benefits of cash bail is that it helps protect the integrity of the judicial process, because if people who commit crimes can't be brought before the courts and our jury systems, the laws are unenforceable and they become meaningless. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then uh, I've got a question. Uh, I was thinking about this, just our last little follow up here on cash bail. Now, if somebody decides that, you know what, I'm not going to ever pay this bill. I'm never going to trial. You all are suckers. I'm not coming back. What potentially happens to them? Well, if they posted the money completely on their own, then that money is going to be forfeited. The court is going to keep their money. However, most people go through bail bondsmen. And how that works is the person puts up a percentage, usually around 10%. They pay it to the bail bondsman, and they're never getting that money back. It's a permanent payment to the bail bondsman. And then the bail bondsman pays the entirety of the amount, posts the entirety amount to the court. Then if that person doesn't come to court, it is then up to the bail bondsman to try to get their money back, which will be forfeited otherwise. And that's where bounty hunters come in, like the the TV show Dog the Bounty Hunter. The bounty hunters go find the people who skipped bail and left the jurisdiction and bring them back to the court. And that's how the bail bonds company gets their money back. All right, now I want to transition to a couple of election questions about these cash bail bonds and things like that. So, you know, as I understand it, pseudo recently, Los Angeles County had an election. And during the course of that election, the voters under Proposition 25 decided not to end cash bail. Was that correct? Well, that's that's sort of correct. That was a statewide election. So our California state Senate passed a law called Senate Bill 10, which would have largely replaced the use of cash bail with a risk assessment tool. There was a referendum measure that was sponsored largely by the bail industry, and that was Prop 25. And Prop 25 effectively repealed Senate Bill 10, and that passed by the voters statewide, not just in L.A. County, but in the entire state, by over 56 percent. All right. Now, dovetailing into that uh, during that same election cycle, as I understand it, District Attorney George Gascone is elected, and he introduces Special Directive 2006, which does have impact on cash bail. So I guess real quick, uh, the relevance, what is a special directive as it pertains to that context? And then this particular one, what did it do to cash bail? 
Yeah, a special directive is the term the L.A. County DA's office uses for a memorandum that announces a change in our official legal policies. It is, as the term suggests, a directive, not a suggestion. You have to follow legal policy, and failure to follow policy can result in discipline and potentially termination. So he issued nine different special directives his first day in office, and 2006 specifically addressed bail. And one of the things that it says that it prohibits prosecutors in this office from requesting the current lawful cash bail for anything other than a serious or violent offense. But the catch is, and this is where you have to to be a lawyer, and as I noted in my recent article, the crimes that qualify as serious and violent are statutorily defined, and they don't by any means encompass all the crimes that the general public would consider serious or violent. Now, this is the entry point. This is what really got my attention in your article. And so you have these, uh, basically, these are the legal terminology, and uh, this is like the umbrella terminology for a series of uh, rather odious offenses. Like you said, the public would be fairly alarmed at this. And so could you help us out with that? Can you build out that list? And, and some of these are legal terms of art. So if we could use sort of a, uh, a plain definition, that would be perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the the crimes that are listed as serious and violent are strikes under California three strikes law. So those lists were never meant to encompass all potential crimes that the public would consider violent. So some of the things that aren't on that list that would require uh, release without bail under this policy include solicitation to commit murder, domestic violence resulting in injury, rape of a mentally or developmentally disabled victim, a drugged victim, or an unconscious victim, human trafficking of a minor for commercial sex acts, resisting a peace officer resulting in injury, using a hostage as a human shield to prevent arrest, or one of our unfortunate new trends in crime, sucker punching an elderly Asian person as a hate crime. None of those are serious and violent under the law, and they would all require release without bail. Oh, wow. See, that that's something that I don't think people understood. And you're right. You know, they're, they're under these umbrella terms and most people wouldn't ferret that out and make that determination. So the public would probably be unaware unless someone like yourself uh, listed those out. So, you know, if, if you're a deputy district attorney and, you know, under these circumstances, if you cannot use cash bail to hold someone into custody that you believe is dangerous, are there other tools that you can use to keep them I guess, keep them away from the public, but also make sure they show up for their trial. Well, we, we really don't have a lot of tools because the system is premised on cash bail and it has to go through the courts and the, the courts can only use the legal tools that are, in fact, the law, not just things that are policy. So according to this directive, the preference instead of cash bail is number one on the list is nothing, absolutely nothing. Just say, please come back to court. And then really the only other tools we have are house arrest and electronic monitoring. In other words, an ankle bracelet. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, well, Michelle, um, I've noticed on social media, that's part of my job here working at Legal Talk Network. And, you know, one of the things that seems to be on the increase are the instances of Asian hate crime. And I guess, you know, from your experience, in your opinion, does the lack of having a cash bail requirement or let's say some factor that curtails the use of cash bail, perhaps for um, people of lower income status, do you think that contributes to higher instances of crimes like these? You know, I don't see any obvious causal connection between the rise in hate crimes against Asians and the elimination or reduction of cash bail because the the hate crime problem is not isolated to Los Angeles or even to California. 
And in fact, most of California is still using cash bail, as are other states. Where there is likely a connection is the general soft on crime policies that we're seeing enacted nationwide, as well as what's very likely a misplaced animosity about the origins of COVID-19. Okay, gotcha. Well, last question for you, Michelle. Um, If you were a king or queen for the day and uh, you could customize special directive 2006 any way that you'd want to, how would you structure it? Well, first and foremost, I'd follow the law. I mean, bail, like I said, is part of our state constitution. And until someone changes the constitution, we are ethically bound to obey that. Likewise, the voters of the entire state, not just the county of Los Angeles, just voted to keep cash bail. So you should respect the will of the voters. But there are ways to reduce or eliminate reliance on cash bail, even if if we didn't change the Constitution. We could change the Constitution and create a presumption of detention for violent or dangerous individuals. And I'm, I'm afraid to say violent and serious because those are terms of art, but I'm talking in the more general sense of what the public would think is violent. And that's what they do in federal court. There's a presumption that certain violent offenses will result in detention, and that it's going to be without any cash bail. Another option to allow pretrial release without the use of cash bail while helping to ensure the accused comes to court is to file criminal charges for a willful failure to appear in court. And that is a crime in California. Penal Code Section 1320 makes it a crime to willfully fail to appear in order to evade the process of the court. So if you fail to appear on a misdemeanor, the crime is a misdemeanor. And if you fail to appear on a felony, the crime is a felony. So then you're looking at more jail time and more fines on top of whatever you're charged with. So it's basically a stick instead of a carrot. Instead of making the person post bail and get it back if they if they return, you just say you have to return. And if you don't, there is going to be a penalty. And this way it doesn't cost the accused anything up front. And it never costs them anything unless and until it is proved beyond a reasonable doubt that they willfully fail to appear in violation of their promise to the court. So those would be my my druthers if I was king for a day. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good, Michelle. And thank you so much. You know, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for being here. Really uh, enjoyed our conversation. I think it was uh, it was really informative to talk about these sort of public policy issues that impact everybody. So thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And also, one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. And remember, that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never, ever, ever least, thank you to our team producer, Molly McDonough, and our LTN audio crew. They always work super duper hard. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 